Marketplace is supported by Putnam Investments, recognizing the value of financial advice since 1937. Putnam Investments, a world of investing. Produced in association with the University of Southern California. We will, of course, do the numbers later on, but the number that really matters today goes like this. 60 to 38, that's the vote that got financial reform by the Senate. From American Public Media, this is Marketplace. Marketplace is supported by Reputation Defender, protecting online privacy by monitoring the web and removing your personal data from websites that sell it. ReputationDefender.com slash market. And by Progressive Insurance, helping people shop for car insurance at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com. From the Frank Stanton Studios in Los Angeles, I'm Kai Rizdahl. Good to have you here with us on this Thursday. It is the 15th of July, everybody. Students of the Constitution, or just regular followers of the news, will know that it's the 60 part of that vote that was important. It's the one that got the Senate past the threat of a filibuster. The House having already agreed, the bill is now on its way to the White House. But for all the wailing and gnashing of teeth over what went into it, a lot of the details and a lot of the tough decisions are yet to come. Marketplace's Nancy Marshall-Genzer reports. The epic fight to overhaul the financial system took more than a year, and it's not over. Congress is making federal regulators do the heavy lifting. Michael Greenberger is a former financial regulator who now teaches law at the University of Maryland. He says it's one thing to do battle in Congress. It's another thing to then turn to the battle in the subterranean processes of administrative agencies where you're dealing with rulemaking, studies, reports. In fact, the financial overhaul calls for 243 separate rulemakings alone. According to the law firm Davis Polk, Congress left some of the toughest decisions to federal agencies. Consider the new Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. The legislation gives the new bureau the power to make rules and sue to enforce them, but it's not clear when that power can be used. Reed Kramer is a policy analyst at the New America Foundation. So the bill creates these new tools, but we need to know that we're beginning a major construction project here, and it's going to have to be, uh, they're going to have to be used uh, effectively. And then there's the Financial Stability Oversight Council. Congress gave it the power to decide when a tottering financial institution is too big to fail. But the financial reform bill doesn't spell out when a too-big-to-fail bank should be shut down. Why give so much power to regulators? Ed Merzwinski of the U.S. Public Interest Research Group says it's simple. Is that regulators have expertise that Congress does not. The Congress is just not good at little details. But Roswinski says Congress will have to keep a tight rein on the regulators to be sure they're implementing the legislation as lawmakers intended. In Washington, I'm Nancy Marshall-Genzer for Marketplace. There are those who would say the big banks have ended up with the reform bill that they wanted. They've been able to get bigger, for one thing, and more profitable, as J.P. Morgan showed today. It did report some strong numbers this morning, but it seems to have indulged in some, shall we say, creative accounting to get there. Completely legal, but creative nonetheless. All to make the bottom line look better for investors without really changing some of its underlying problems. Here's our senior business correspondent, Bob Moon. J.P. Morgan Chase announced a big $4.8 billion profit this morning, and some news reports obligingly declared the company blew away expectations. 
Then analysts started reading between the lines, and at Rockdale Securities, Dick Beauvais saw the performance as stunning all right, stunningly disappointing for the country's second biggest bank. It saw a decline in its deposits, it saw a decline in its loans, it saw a decline in the fees that it created, it saw a decline in its margins, and it saw a decline in its revenues. It was a terrible quarter. So how could that yield more than $4 billion in profit? Beauvais says Chase pumped up its bottom line with an accounting strategy just about all banks turn to in tough times. They reduced their reserves and they took money out of the reserves and put it into profit. Most, if you will, hardcore analysts who look at a company won't accept that as being a valid way to uh, increase earnings. Beauvais did not use the phrase smoke and mirrors to describe this approach, but the Securities and Exchange Commission has come close since the economy collapsed.